Kia ora. Welcome to Down to Earth Conversations, where we hear from ordinary people who are helping to bring a bit of heaven down to earth. I'm Andrew Dixon. It's good to have you here. Hello, welcome to another episode of Down to Earth Conversations. So things are still a bit crazy out there. Uh, coronavirus has impacted life in huge ways. So many opportunities for social connection have been cancelled. Uh, many people are struggling with finances as a result of the necessary measures the government has put in place. Businesses, some of them are struggling. Um, anxiety is rising for many. More than ever, we need to be aware of others and how we can be a part of bringing a bit of heaven down to earth. So please look after each other, be kind, be patient, as we all get through this global chaos together. Uh, Today I'm pleased to bring you another conversation full of life and hope. If you've been enjoying these conversations, please share them with your friends and family. Uh, Make sure that you connect with me on Facebook or Instagram uh, at downtoearth.conversations on both. I'm keen to hear what has impacted you, Uh, what questions you have, and also please do let me know if there's someone you can connect me with who uh, I should be having a conversation with about being on the podcast. Uh, Flick me a message on Instagram or Facebook or you can email me at downtoearth.conversations at gmail.com. Today I chat with Emma Chilvers. Uh, Emma works for the Champion Centre at Linwood Hospital and has a lot to say about how we interact with those who are different from us and in her case those with disabilities, uh, including whether that's actually an appropriate label or not. We journey through her own insecurities, her childhood struggles, and the empathy that that has given her for others. Uh, We talk about work, about church, about family, uh, and and all the spaces in between. I recorded this interview with Emma before Ignition Networks hooked me up with better quality gear, so the voices are clear, but there are some microphone rubbing noises in the background, but hopefully the quality of the conversation will distract you from any of those background noises because this is a very rich conversation. This is episode three of Down to Earth Conversations. Here's Emma Chilvers. I think the word disabled is a very disempowering word. And the fact is that um, we're differently able. And I think that's a much more positive framework to use, you know, when when there's difference. By seeing different abilities, it positively enables us to connect and see that that person is a person first. Their abilities come second. Welcome to the Down to Earth Conversations podcast. Uh, today I'm here with Emma Chilvers. Welcome, Emma. Thank you. And as we begin, do you just want to give us a little bit of a background of where you come from, who you are, sure. um, where you fit into life? Sure. Um, so I was born um, actually in Walthamstow in England, um, 1970, and um, I lived for most of my um, 
I don't know, early childhood up to my um, early 20s in a place called Worcester, where you get the Worcestershire sauce from. And so how, um, how do you pronounce it? Because I've heard so many different ways of pronouncing Worcestershire. Worcestershire, yeah. not Worcestershire. No, Worcestershire <laughs> sauce. And actually, when Dominic and I were first married, the house we lived in was quite close to the sauce factory. And so if we stood on the doorstep when the wind was blowing in the right direction, we could smell it. Oh, man. <laughs> Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Oh, it's, it's not what you want to smell when you come out of your house. It's probably better than we, we need a fertiliser factory, so it's yeah. not Yeah, so all great. the meat factory, it's better than that. Um, yeah, so Dominic and I got married in 1990, started our family in 91, 11 months after we were married, so we didn't give ourselves very long mm. to get together, get to know each other. And then we lived in England until um, I was 33 and then we arrived in New Zealand having not been here before for a visit. What gave you the idea to come to the other side of the world? Uh, Dominic really, that's the answer. (laughs) Um, He's a bit of an adventurer, adventurer at heart and his family had been interested in New Zealand right from when he was, I don't know, mid-teens and so He'd had this idea about New Zealand or Canada and being a social worker, he could get into either country. But right. I guess it was God's direction. It was his, him using Dominic's sense of adventure to bring us to a new place. Um, I was not keen to begin with. Um, I like same, same. And I had not imagined emigrating being part of my future and in fact, I told Dominic, when we got married, don't ever expect me to move away, even from Worcester, <laughs> but definitely not from England. Um, so he clearly listened. Yes. Mm, yeah. <laughs> no. <laughs> and so um, I think it was all, it was definitely part of God's plan, but it took me a while to come round to the idea. In fact, it was a complete miracle that I did even consider coming. And I know that I asked God to change my mind if it was going to be a good thing for our family. And he did overnight. And so the next day I told Dominic he could um, apply for four jobs that he'd seen, one in the South Island, three in the North Island, and that was it. If we didn't, if nothing happened from that, then it wasn't God's plan and we weren't moving. But guess what? It was God's plan and we did move and he got the job at Christchurch Hospital and um, we moved over. And at that time I was focused on raising the kids. I was doing a little bit of part-time work in a preschool in England, but my main role was um, looking after the kids and um, looking after stuff that needs to be done day to day in the house. And... So moving over was challenging um, because I was in a new place where I didn't really know anyone. Mm. Um, And so I think that um, I've done a lot of learning and growing and um, I think the fact that we are people-orientated people has helped um, move us into a space where we could connect, make really good, strong connections. Um, And we had... Uh, really good connection, Grant and Emma Chivers, who have become our Fano here and who totally embraced us. And uh, we literally just popped in and out of their house for, um, yeah, the, the first few years we were 
in and out of each other's spaces a lot, and I think that's what helped. Um, was the main attraction that you had nearly the same name? Mm, I think so. And we were also, and we also were both nannies before we had children, and we both had two girls and a boy, but like ten years apart. So yeah, our interests and um, we're both very much people, people, and so yeah, we had this connection. We've been muddled up for years. <laughs> I have people ring me who want her and she has people ring her who want me. So, yeah. So that interconnection is quite hilarious but also has been really amazing. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. I guess one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you on this podcast was because as well as being involved in the church, which you've yeah. done a lot of, you've, you've been involved in leadership mm-hmm. for a number of years through various different um, spaces and currently now part of the Kaitiaki team at North mm-hmm. City Church um, who help shape and lead here. Uh, and yet observing you and Dominic in the way that you live out your faith, it's not about being in the church solely. Right? It's that your faith is quite obviously a beyond the church or beyond the, the programs of the church. Yeah, sure. Um, yeah. And so... Yeah, really, really interested in, in what, what is it that you're up to? What do you do for work? And we'll kind of get into other churchy kind of stuff maybe a bit as well. But, yeah, cool. but what is it that you do for your paycheck? Maybe? Yeah, for my paycheck. Uh, so um, my roots are in early childhood. So I trained in England for two years as a nanny, um, which also gave me access to working in any area to do with children from zero to seven and so my qualification in in England was like gold dust so people wanted me because I had my NNEB Um, however when I moved to New Zealand um, my qualification was not worth anything (laughs) so I retrained um, I did my bachelor of teaching in early years and I became um, an early childhood teacher so was was it hard coming over and finding that actually that your the training yeah. you'd already done wasn't worth yeah, anything? Yeah, it was very confronting because um I had had a very um challenging childhood with a condition in my foot that meant um walking was very painful, mm. getting shoes that were comfortable was very painful. I missed a lot of my schooling and so I had gaps in my education that that really impacted on my learning or my ability to have confidence in my learning. And so I um, left school with three O-levels, two in English, English literature and English language, and one in childcare. And that was all I believed I was capable of. And so when I got into um, nursery nursing college, um, for me, that felt like a miracle. It was a very, it was an oversubscribed, if you like, course. So applicants, like maybe 200 applicants for 20 places. And so I actually attended my interview on crutches, having had, oh, sorry, I was waiting for an operation to amputate two toes. And um, essentially cut away some of my foot and replace it with tissue off my back. So I had no idea 
whether this was going to work, but my belief was that it was going to work and I was going to be okay um, to go on the course. And they actually accepted me not knowing whether that was the case. And so for me, it felt like a miracle, but it also gave me huge confidence that they saw something in me that, um, you know, they thought was a good asset to have for being on the course. And so that was part of my confidence building. And so... Um, and, and then you've got people saying that it's not worth anything. Yeah, and so coming over and feeling like, you know, I knew I had to study again and I knew I would have to do a three-year course. I just didn't have any confidence in myself that I was capable of... I certainly didn't think I was capable of doing a degree. And I think, you know, I was always told I was borderline... Uh, borderline thick was what I interpreted it to be, you know, not borderline clever. And so um, I guess my, you know, my parents didn't... Um, they didn't really value uh, university. I think that's, you know, that's an honest reflection. Um, and that very much at that time, a role as a woman was being married and having children and raising children. And that's certainly what my mother did. And she did a great job of being at home. And, you know, her story was that um, her mum wasn't at home because she had mental health challenges and she was in and out of um, mental institutions as they were then and so my mum's my mum's role was very committed to being at home and being you know a homemaker and looking after us and always being there when we came in the door and so I think for me the thought of having to do a three-year degree was too big and yeah. um, but at the at the right time while you had kids as well yeah it was too much of a challenge I think um, but when my youngest went into high school, I embarked on this journey and actually found that I had the knowledge and was able to, with some support from Dominic, who's amazing at ensuring that things flow in assignments, was able to do really well. And in fact, I, I achieved A's for most of my assignments, I think mostly because I was panicking that well, wasn't gonna pass so I did all the readings whereas all the young ones were like you know they'd turn out their assignments like two days before it was due they'd start it when no one's making them be there. yeah and so for me um you know that was a huge part of it was a huge part of growing my confidence I think as well in you know going back to study was a really vulnerable space for me um yeah, so I guess that's what shaped my interest in children with additional needs. Um, and I've always had a heart for, yeah, difference, I suppose, because that was my experience growing up. I was different to everyone else. I couldn't do the same things every, everyone else did. Um, I couldn't even feel that I looked nice in shoes like everybody else did. And so, so I have a real understanding what it's like to be different. Um, and so now I work with children with additional needs, with difference, in an early intervention service um, in Christchurch called the Champion Centre. They're a trust and um, we fundraise a million dollars a year just wow. so that we can exist. We're, we're a multidisciplinary service, so we work in teams. Um, there's six of us usually in a team. 
so we have speech and language therapy, early intervention teaching, play specialist, which is the role that I do, physios, OTs and music therapy and computer-aided learning. So we have a mixture of those um, disciplines in each team and we really are a wraparound the child service so the child comes in for one morning <clears throat> a week um, usually for three hours and they rotate around to see one therapist at a time for between 20 and 25 minutes so essentially I work in a very small um, my room is like a very small early childhood centre with all the things that you would expect to find in there. But I work one-on-one -on -one with the child and parent or caregiver. You get to play with them. Yeah, so yeah. So what I do is hold the goals that we're working on with the children and I hold those in mind. And whilst I'm playing, I outwork those goals through play. I have a particular awesome. interest in child-parent interactions and really enabling or facilitating play so that the parent and child or caregiver and child learn to play together and read each other's cues and, and respond to each other's cues. Yeah. It's interesting hearing you talk about it and also having heard you talk about it in the past, a word that I don't hear when you talk about it is disability. Mm. And, and a word I have heard you talk about in the past is Differability. Differability. Um, differability. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. What, do you want to just talk around that and, yeah. and like what is it mm. for you that makes you want to use that language and not other language? And... Yeah. I think the word disabled is a very disempowering word. And the fact is that um, we're differently abled. And I think that's a much more positive framework to use, you know, when, when there's difference. And certainly from my own experience, you know, I, I had what other people would call a disability, but I did not want to be labelled as disabled. I couldn't accept that that, that was what was going on for me. And, um, and I think that sometimes that unhelpful terminology impacts on other people's ability to be able to connect with people who are differently abled and it's perhaps not helpful and I think by seeing different abilities it positively enables us to connect mm -hmm. and see that that person is a person first yeah. and then their abilities come second. I think it's easy to put you know things like so I, I work with children with autism. So to say that's a disability just doesn't sit right with me. Kind of writes them off, doesn't it? Yeah, it's, you know, and there are certainly challenges for either um, taking care of or parenting children with autism. But there are some wonderful expressions within autism that are different but not necessarily wrong or a disability. And I think it's the way that we view those things that impacts how we accept or include people with different abilities. It's like we've, as a society, <clears throat> we've come up with this thing where we, whoever we are, are normal 
And we have to label yeah. everyone else who's not like us. Yeah, totally. And yeah. Uh, I even noticed that in, uh, you look in studying theology, that there's, you can study theology and then you can study feminist theology yeah, or right. indigenous theology or yeah. theology of disability. or there, There's yeah. all sorts of things that you can study that are theology with an adjective. Mm. But if you're just studying theology, you're actually studying what Western male theology really. Mm. But we don't call yeah, totally. it that yeah. because that's been the norm. Yeah. And and I yeah same same sort of thing I think and mm. it's easy to go well we're the normal ones and these these are the different ones. Yeah, that's right. So we need a label for them. Yeah. And what I hear from you is going, actually none of us are normal. Mm. We're all different, yeah. And let's investigate and <clears throat> celebrate the differences between us, yeah, and learn totally. how to overcome those parts of us that might be difficult mm. or conflict or mm. those kind of things. For you, is that something that's faith-driven? Does it connect with with faith for mm. you? Seeing people in that way? Yeah, I think it does. I, you know, I know that. Right from when I was a child, I had a very, very soft heart towards people that I saw, you know, who had different abilities, different challenges. And I believe that was because of the way that God's made me. It's because of my experiences as a child. And it's because of my desire really to follow Jesus. And I think that as different personalities, we all have varying degrees of sensitivity to these sorts of things. But I think that that was something that God has created in me, a heart for people of difference. And so I think that knowing that Jesus accepted all people, you know, there's various examples in the Bible of people who were not perfect, people who had sickness, people who were, you know, in the Bible it uses the word crippled, which I, I object to, but that's just the way it is. Um, so, so people who were unable to walk, people who were unable to see, and Jesus accepted them. And so for me, very much my faith is that Jesus accepts them and so therefore that's who I am. Mm. I accept them because Jesus lives in me and I'm in him and so my life needs to express that. I don't yeah. even feel like it's a need to. I feel like that's just who I am. That, um, you know, my heart is very much uh, not, not just for people who are physical or cognitive challenges or differences, but for people who are broken, people who, as Christians, we judge, uh, possibly judge, not to be on the right track or to be living in a way that's not honouring God. I, I have a heart for those people and my heart is actually, if Jesus loved then that's my role it's not my role to judge it's it's my role is to love and leave the changing up to Jesus mm -hmm. yeah it's it, interesting, interesting looking at those stories of Jesus because well firstly it shows 
that us labeling people who are different isn't a new thing. Totally. Um, that you know, there, there's stories about the lepers, not the people who happen to have leprosy. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but this group of people who were labeled based on yeah their condition. Yeah. Uh, and and same with other terms like crippled and, yeah. and things like that. And uh, one way of looking at Jesus' interaction with them is that he saw them as somehow broken and other and went in and fixed them. Mm. So they weren't. But another way of looking at it, and, and I think a way that sits better with me, is that actually Jesus noticed that society shunned people. Totally. And he went in, while society wasn't doing what it should do to embrace people, he took away some of the barriers for those people. Mm. That he allowed them back into community, back into relationship. Yeah, that's absolutely right. But but actually, mm. that doesn't that doesn't mean that our hope is that everyone would get healed so that we don't have mm. to deal with those differences. No, that's but that right. actually, that's a challenge for us to embrace them. Yeah, totally. Um, to embrace people who yeah. are different than us. Yeah. Um, and actually, that might be yeah. a greater miracle in yeah. some ways. Yeah, if, that's right. If society could embrace people who are different. Yeah. Then would actually be following the way of Jesus yeah. you know, without having to need him to step in and, mm. and make people able to walk again or whatever. Uh, yeah, that's right. And I think one of the challenges I see, not just for the church, but for society, is that you know we don't know what we don't know. And so if you have never interacted with you know someone who is differently able there's a bit of fear or worry around how do I do this and I think that that sort of facing that that first fear if you like is probably bigger than any of the concerns that you'd have when you actually interacted and I see that all the time that you know or people comment to me oh I don't know how you do that job you know it must be really hard and my response is they're children this, you know, the, the children I work with are firstly children. And so any way that you interact with any other child, you're going to come up trumps because they're children. Um, so I do a lot of work with families going back to the first face-to-face interactions that you would have with a baby. And that's I find that's a really great place to start. It's a great place to know that you've got that that connection firstly and then you build up and do all the other Mm -hmm. things around play that you would but if you don't have the face-to-face interactions going on first then it's hard to build up a relationship and so we work on those things Um, and I think that's for me that connects with my faith because if I don't have that if you like face-to-face relationship with Jesus then nothing else I try and outwork from the Bible will actually be a reality because it's the it's the face-to-face stuff that's the foundation and knowing him and know, and being able to hear his voice is what translates through to my work. Mm. Mm. How does having I guess, been involved in this sort of work uh, for a while now how does that shape the way that you lead within a church setting? Mm. Or does it, I guess? Yeah, it, de- it definitely does because um, I think that while I've been... So I've been there six years now 
And I think one of the biggest things that I've learned is that um, we all carry a story and the story is quite often unseen. And I think one of the biggest influences on both my work and in church has been Brene Brown and that whole message around shame and vulnerability. And these families who come into the Champion Centre, they step into a vulnerable space every time they walk through those doors because there are multiple sets of professional eyes on them and how they are interacting, supporting their child. And that's an extremely vulnerable space. And so um, understanding that when they come in, we have no idea what their weeks look like, what their morning has even looked like to get there, gives us, give, has given me a greater understanding of people in general. So um, my philosophy that I choose to work from is a space of everyone is doing the best they can. And I think that linking that with leadership within a church allows for grace and knowing that when some challenges or conflict arise, it's actually understanding that there's something else that's going on, that there's a backstory that we don't know and that actually being gentle with people is exactly the space we need to be in and allowing time for the conflict to be resolved in a way that's respectful to that person's story, I think is key to taking care of people and relationships. Yeah. Cool. <laughs> awesome. You've been a parent for a long time now as well, um, and now yes. a grandparent. Yeah. How's that shaped life for you? Yeah, that's... Um, you know, parenting is... It's a pathway that we walk because we are passionate about creating life. And I think, for me, I thought that I had things very much figured out. I came from an early childhood background. I knew what I was doing. I'd been a nanny. I knew how to raise children. And that pretty much worked quite well for our first two children and then um, we had our third child and things didn't go as smoothly because he didn't fit into the box of you know compliant child syndrome that I thought every child had and so I believe that that was actually God's intention was to take us on a journey of understanding challenge and huge reward. I mean, this kid had personality coming out of his ears and was a lot of fun and very physical and and is an absolute treasure, but actually brought me to my knees in terms of being able to control this child, which is totally the wrong way of me understanding parenting. And I think God taught me so much through that journey so that I can actually understand what some parents experience 
in the work that I do around challenging behaviour and um, right, so your experiences have fit into what it is oh, that you're doing abs- now? Absolutely, absolutely. And I see God's wisdom in growing me um, in my understanding of children being little humans and we're not meant to control them. We're meant to grow them and to teach them how to fly. But um, children need to have some control in their life and they deserve to have some control over some things in their lives and that just wasn't a philosophy that I grew up with and so my experience of being parented was you do as you're told and you do it now and my experience as a parent was yep that worked for the first two but not the third and so um, that was a really big learning curve and frustrating and challenging um, and has been entirely rewarding too but I do have compassion I suppose and empathy for um, parents that I see who have those same sort of challenges Um, and being able to express you know yep I I have I do know some of what it's like to have walked this path has been really helpful yeah so being a, a church leader doesn't mean you have got there because you were perfect at parenting. Oh <laughs> my goodness, no. No, and I think, I think it's a very common feeling, I'm told, to feel like I don't even know why I'm in leadership because my life is pretty messed up sometimes. And I think that that's just a human, that's part of our humanness. And I'm very open about the fact that we haven't got everything sorted and there are still areas of my life that are in chaos because I haven't found perfection yet or I'm not perfect but I know that in Christ I am in Christ he sees me as perfect but there's more honing to be done Um, and so I'm very aware of of my my frailties that I carry Um, but I think that helps in being able to work through challenges or to mentor people um, is to say, you know, we're not perfect. Um, And actually being able to ask for forgiveness or say, I'm really sorry, you know, that wasn't, that just wasn't a a perfect scenario is really important. It's an important thing in our family that we acknowledge you know, when when things aren't okay. Yeah, so I, I think parenting is a journey and it mm. continues to be a journey because, you know, you kind of think the parenting years are, are almost over and then you have adult children, but you have different challenges mm. and there's different emotional output for adult children. And then, of course, you have a grandchild, which is the most amazing thing in the world and a privilege and then you start worrying about stupid little things with your grandchild that you never ever considered for your own children. <laughs> um, but that again brings you back to a place of having to trust God. You know, yeah. we trust God for our grandchild the way that we did with our children. Yeah. And yeah, so it's exciting and a mm. privilege. Oh, yeah. I think that's awesome. Uh, yes, with the heart of this podcast, I think it's important that people hear that actually. Um, 
first of all, that church leaders don't have it all together. Oh, totally. Um, but also that if we're talking about where is this heaven space on earth, yeah, and, and we're looking for it in the normal of life, that actually, you know, what you're talking about, about being able to even go to your kids and say, look, I'm really sorry. Mm. For me, that's about bringing heaven in that space. Yeah, totally. Because that's the heart of God. Yeah. Is forgiveness and, yeah, yeah, totally. and um and also just us recognizing where we're weak um, yeah. and that being okay yeah and so uh, I see a whole lot of parents who struggle at church because they used to have a particular way of engaging with God and now they've got kids they can't do that same yeah thing um, and to give them permission to go actually just by interacting with your children, you're living out your faith. Oh, absolutely. I think yeah. been, that's been a huge part yeah. of my parenting journey. In yeah, terms of absolutely. you, as a, one of the things you're really passionate about is the, the musical expression of worship. Yeah. And um, you're a big part of shaping that in a lot of spaces. Mm. And I guess linked to that same thing, you know, I, I've come across people who worship as a, musical worship is a success when I get this particular feeling or mm. like level or whatever, but then you've got kids and they're distracting and they're, you know, frustrating and you're you're trying to do this musical thing but you might not have the space that you might have had without the children. You know, mm. how, what's that been like for you and mm. how do you see worship in terms of what what is it what is the goal of it? What what mm. are you hoping personally to get out of it mm. um, that's a really that's yeah. a really big question <laughs> totally um, because just you know just a, a little yeah I think like part of my worship is for me being at the champion center awesome and so I I worship when I sing with children about going up and down so I sing up, 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 and down, down, down to to help them um, learn the concept. Awesome. And you sing up, up, up as you're going up the scale. So you'd sing up, 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 down, 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 down. So you're teaching a concept. You're also, which is the up and down, you're teaching a musical concept. So your, your pitch goes up as you're going up and down when you're going down. And so my interactions with children in that space is worship. So that's partly about using the gifting that God's given me in that space. So I'm a musical play partner on Fridays. I've just had a six-month secondment to another program, but, but I'm going back to that program. And so for me, that's a space where... Actually, the principles of listening to Holy Spirit and going with the flow happens in that space just slightly differently, but you're still being sensitive to what's going on. And I believe, for me, being led by Holy Spirit, um, I'm following someone else's lead, but that's just as important in that context as it is in worship when Holy Spirit's leading and somebody else might be the um, worship leader. And so my responses to that person and what's going on is the same as when I'm at work. And so for me, worship is 
um, not not necessarily a set of songs that I may or may not be leading, but it's about how do I live my life um, from a place of worship. And so for me, that means actually when when I can see someone at work is struggling and not okay, it's going in and saying, hey, are you okay? I can see that things might be a bit tricky for you today. And, and actually being in that space where where I'm able to perhaps ask Holy Spirit, can you do something here because I'm not sure what to do with this child. You know, sometimes a child is very distressed and we're unable to, you know, sometimes it doesn't happen very often, but sometimes all the things that we try to try and bring a good positive regulation for the child isn't working. And so so in those moments, that's where I ask Holy Spirit and I've seen time and time again that peace has come into the space and um, and I've been able to work with a child in a way that parents have been quite amazed at but I know that that's that's my worship that's that's how I bring worship to Jesus is by allowing him into my space and for people to see something change or something work that shouldn't work um yeah I think in terms of uh say musical worship at church I think my my ultimate goal is for an exchange so there's the giving of praise of worship to Jesus to the father inviting the spirit and then there's an exchange where something happens that transforms what's going on for you inside. And I think that's the, that's the ultimate goal is for transformation. It's not about an experience of feeling, you know, great, whoop-de-doo, you can have a great feeling, but how does that actually change what's going on in your life? So it's about that... Um, that exchange and transformation and I think those spaces I call the thin space Mm. where um, it feels so easy to hear Holy Spirit and so easy to respond Mm. and so that would be that would be my my goal if you like if you have a goal in Mm. worship is that we firstly bless Jesus the Father Holy Spirit for you know for being who they are and and that actually that then we change that we we also receive but we there's also that that level of transformation yeah that's awesome thanks for that Emma um yeah been great to chat to you um, we're come to the okay. end of our time now but yeah, thank you for your vulnerability. Thank you for leading us into a whole bunch of different, really thoughtful spaces. And yeah, just reflecting some of this, where, where is this God space in life? Yeah, cool. Um, so thank you for being with us. You're welcome. Wow. 
Thanks, Emma, for some thoughtful and challenging perspectives. Now, I find the challenge particularly around how we label people to be quite confronting, uh, but it, it sits really well with me. You know, it's about humanizing people. Uh, it has so many ramifications with uh, how we do life, how we how we label people, how we separate people from ourselves. Um, you know, Emma was really just talking about breaking down the us and them barriers. And I'm so glad that there are people like Emma doing what they do and sharing their stories with us so we can think about how we engage with those who are different than us. If you feel a connection to what Emma's doing, uh, one way you can help is to give financially. Um, I realize that things are pretty tight financially for some people right now, um, the way the coronavirus is impacting jobs and stuff. But if you are interested and you have the ability to contribute, they would love the support. Um, They're a charity and they run at nearly a million dollars loss every year. So uh, anything that you can give is such a blessing to them. Uh, You can give through their website, um, which I'll put in the show notes, uh, championcentre.org.nz. The other thing they really need is a group of volunteers who will commit to supporting events, um, once events are allowed to run again, of course. But if this is something that sounds interesting to you, um, or you'd like to know more about that, contact karen.store at championcentre.org.nz and I'll put that in the show notes as well. So thanks Emma for your time uh, and we pray blessings on you as you continue to be you in your spaces bringing a bit of heaven down to earth. Next episode I chat with Frank Ritchie, broadcaster, minister, media chaplain. We talk about his journey in the media and in ministry, uh, how those two worlds collide and how things like the mosque shootings and the current pandemic impact people and how that affects his world. So join me again for more down-to-earth conversations. Until next time, me inoi tātou. E tō mātou matuai te rangi, kia tapu tō ingoa, kia tau mai tō rangatiratanga, kia mea te tau e pai ai ki runga ki te whenua, Kia rite anō ki tō te rangi Humai kia mātou ai nei He taroma mātou mō tēnei rā Mūro mātou hara Me mātou hoki e muru nei I o te hunga E hara nā kia mātou Aua hoki mātou e kawia Kia whakawaia Engari whakorangi a mātou i te kino. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. May your kingdom come, may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, the power and the glory. Forever and ever. Amen.